January 12th, 2023. We're in Masechet Betza at the very beginning. Let's start again from the beginning of the Gemara. Quickly review that which we learned yesterday and move onward. The Mishnah began by recording a mahlok in a dispute between Bet Shamay and Bet Hilel. The case was Betza Shinolda Biyom Tob. Circumstance where there's an egg which is born on Yom Tob. And the question will be with regards to the permissibility of A, consuming, eating that egg, and B, maybe even handling, maybe even carrying that egg. And the Gemara at the very onset asked this question, what was the Mishnah specifically talking about? What's the context? What was that chicken, uh, the status of that chicken which birthed that egg on Yom Tov? Perhaps you'll say, if you'll say, Perhaps the circumstance was such that the, the chicken was purposed, it was being raised and reared and anticipated that it will bring, it'll, it'll be eaten from. You'll end up slaughtering it and eat from it in such a circumstance as the Gemara. Can't understand the stringent opinion. Now let me briefly remind you what we learned yesterday. What we're really contending with and dealing with over here is an issue called mukseh. That's what appears to be uh, the issue in the Gemara, uh, certainly for some time uh, before we go in a different direction. Which means to say, if it was not on the mind of the owner of this tarnegolet, uh, of this chicken, before the holiday began, that he was going to be involved in the consumption and usage of this tarnegolet, of this chicken, then the chicken is considered mukseh. It means to say it was out of his mind and the rabbis therefore decree that he's not allowed to eat, not allowed to benefit and involve himself with that animal or that object on the holiday. Now, if the case was, explains... Isn't the chicken itself out of his mind? He wasn't planning... If he's waiting for it to give birth, then the chicken itself... Well, that's the question. But that's precisely the question. The Gemara wants to know what's the status first of the chicken, and then let's talk about the beta. And the Gemara will then ultimately speaking, once we settle our matter on the beta, return to the chicken as well. As says the Gemara. Before the chicken, before the heart attack, I eat this chicken. Yes. If I don't eat that, I don't want to eat it. The question is, what was your mind on that chicken? Is the chicken No, 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 no. All the chickens, all the chickens are being raised and reared to be eaten from. It doesn't need to be that chicken. Is the purpose of these chickens? Who said? I don't, you know, I'm no chicken rearer, but I'm, I'm aware of the fact that there are chickens that you have in order to bring forth eggs. You don't imagine that you're going to eat it anytime soon, maybe when it's too old to hatch eggs any longer. And as a result, says the Gemara, if it's a Tarnigolet Ta'umedet La'achilaf, the purpose and the mindset of the person is that this Tarnigolet, this chicken, is going to be eaten. Well, by extension, anything that's a part of that chicken, meaning the eggs, should be permitted as well. My mind is on that chicken and on any of the chickens that I own and have in my coop that I'm going to deal with them on the holiday. They were never out of my mind. Says the Gemara, if that's the case, I can't understand the stringent opinion, that of Beit Hillel. How could Beit Hillel say you can't eat from the egg? Why can't you eat from the egg? If my mindset was even on that chicken, so it's by extension anything that comes from that chicken. The words of the Gemara, Ukhla ifratu. The food which comes out of it, meaning the egg, is just separated from the food itself. It's like the imagery we gave yesterday. It's a loaf of bread where you sliced off one specific slice. You're not going to say, well, my mindset was on 
the loaf of bread before the holiday, but not on the slice which came from it. Well, that's nonsense. So to over here, if your mindset was on the uh, tarnigolet, which is able to be slaughtered on the holiday, which you're allowed to slaughter and eat from and cook on the holiday, then why could, how should Betileil make the claim that there's an Isura Achila Ela? Rather, says the Gemara, it can't be. Perforce, we have to argue the case is the case is that this Tarnigolet, these uh, chickens that you're dealing with, the ones which brought forth, or the one which brought forth eggs, was specifically there in order to bring forth eggs. After Tarm Charlie, maybe you're going to eat from it. But going into this holiday, that wasn't on my mind. If you ask me, what am I doing with this chicken, with these chickens? I'm looking forward to their eggs. In such a circumstance, says the Gemara then, I now understand the opinion of Beti Leo. Well, the circumstance, the situation is such that I wasn't thinking about this chicken as using it on the holiday. If eggs came out of it, okay, I'd be very excited. But eggs are out of sight, out of mind. And as a result, this is a real core of hardcore case of Mukseh. Says Gemara, that being the case, I can't understand now the lenient opinion. How could you explain the opinion in our Mishnah, Bet Shamai, who maintained that it's permitted to eat from the Bet Tob? How so? Uh, you didn't have in mind this chicken entering the holiday. And as a result, it's huksamidato, it was separated out of, out of the person's state of mind, out of their conscious thought entering the holiday. Uh, well, that being the case, there should certainly be a prohibition. Says the Gemara, is that really what's bothering you? Aren't you familiar with the fact that we have a long-standing, ancient mahloket and dispute about this sort of mukseh when it comes to holidays and Shabbat? Umay kushya? What sort of question is that? You're questioning. You can't understand the opinion of Beit Shammai. How could they be lenient over here with a Beit Perhaps the opinion of Beit Shammai accords with that of Rabbi Shimon in Masechet Shabbat, as Rashi fills in the gaps for us, who maintains that there's no Isur in this sort of situation of Mukseh. What's the specifics of Rabbi Shimon? As we mentioned yesterday, Rabbi Shimon is talking about Motar Hashem and Shebaner, if there's leftover oil, I said wax, if there's leftover something from the uh, candle which was used on the holiday, is that permitted or not? In such a circumstance, it wasn't on your mind that you were going to use the leftover oil that came about through uh, the flame that was burning. As a result, Rabbi Shimon says, although you might imagine that's going to be considered mukseh, it's not so. I permit mukseh. Says the Gemara, maybe Bet Shammai accords themselves. Maybe their opinion aligns with that of Rabbi Shimon. Both of them maintain there's no mukseh when it comes to Shabbat and Yom Tov. In this sort of situation, answers the Gemara, the reason we weren't willing, we weren't comfortable accepting that that's the opinion of Bet Shammai is because our Mishnah, as Mars Katten pointed out yesterday, is even further removed. It's even further removed from the leftover oil in the candle. How so? Our Mishnah is talking about an egg which is born. An egg which is born was completely, not only out of mind, but out of sight. You don't see those eggs entering the holiday. When I look at the candle, so I see at the candle, I see the oil and maybe I see the... Out of sight. Out of existence, we will not accept. That didn't come out, it didn't come just like that, and the rabbis were well aware of that. And they'll talk about that in continued lines in the Gemara. But it's out of sight. Nolad means, it's going to be the words of the Gemara, nolad, it's something that's born. It was completely out of sight. It's more removed as a result from the 
mind of a person. So the Gemara says we were under the assumption that even if you're a Rebishim on mindset that Mukse is permitted on Shabbat and on holiday, no lad, that's not going to be permitted. That's so far removed. You don't even see the egg. That should be Asur. Still no lad. Again, Tosafot's example is, the, uh, is the, the clouds. Clouds, you see these clouds coming, you know there's rain coming, but you don't see rain. The mindset, the understanding is that it's not on my mind unless I actually see the item. I listen, the Gemara in a moment is going to equate the two, it's going to say that it's the same, uh, but uh, irrespective of that, at this point says the Gemara, the fact that it's not visible makes it further removed, and in turn, I'm trying to think of a good example where when we don't see things, I guess you're saying, if we know things are coming, what's that? Fruit from a tree, you don't know when it's coming. Jeff is saying, what if you, know, you see the, the chicken is getting big and it's, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, so, all right, and nonetheless, the Gemara is assumed, uh, listen, the Gemara will fall off it in just a moment, but says the Gemara, it was and did rise to the mind of the rabbis as they questioned this Mishnah. Afilu, even man, he whom, Deshare be mukseh, who permits mukseh, meaning Rabbi Shimon, by extension, Beit Shammai, be nolad, asar, when it comes to nolad, when it comes to something that wasn't even visible, forget about usable, it wasn't visible, it wasn't in, in the real world yet, it was just, and not only in theory, but it was in theory with regards to usage, because you can't even touch it, you can't even involve yourself in it, that's the betza, that would be asur. Says the Gemara, that being the case, so how do you explain the opinion of Beit Shammai in our Mishnah, who again maintain that a betza shenolda biyom tob is mutar le'echol. According to Beit Shammai, you're allowed to eat that egg, even though it's not only mukse, it's even nolad. That's permitted? We thought, we think, that even if you permit mukseh, no lad, it's further removed. Amar Rav Nachman, le'olam b'tarnegolet ha'omedet le'gadel betzim. Says Rav Nachman, in resolving and explaining the situation, our Mishnah says, let's continue with the line of thought we had. And that is that the tarnegolet, the chicken that we're dealing with in the Mishnah, although the Mishnah never provided these details, there's two types of chickens you might be dealing with. The tarnegolet is the type which you're looking forward to, it's growing and bringing forth eggs means that entering the holiday, your mind was not on the Tarnegolet. It means that we do understand the opinion of Beti Leil who are forbidding. They say, it's Mukseh, it's Nolad. My mindset's only on the eggs and I don't see the eggs. That being the case, we need to now turn to Beit Shammai. Ude'itle Mukseh, itle Nolad. Ude'letle Mukseh, letle Nolad. Generally speaking in Aramaic, the Taf will interchange with the shin in Hebrew, and as a result, it is yesh, and let is like lo yesh, there's not. So those words, it is, is, and let, there is not. Therefore, says the Gemara, the opinion who maintains that there's an isur of this sort called mukseh on Shabbat and Yom Tov, furthermore accepts and maintains that there's an isur of nolad, the most important part. The opinion who says that there's no mukseh on Shabbat and Yom Tov, 
Meaning the Rabbi Shimon type of opinion, at the very least with the mindset of Beit Shammai, suggests Rabbi Nachman here in our Gemara, there's furthermore no nolat. Beit Shammai are willing to, with the strength of, we'll call it later in the Gemara, with the strength of leniency, say, not only is Mukseh permitted, but this concept known as nolad is furthermore permitted. Now we'll talk later on in our Masechet, not too later on, we'll talk about practical ramifications of nolad and how we treat them in the, in the real life, of, let's call it, of 21st century, without chickens of, and, and that sort of matter, uh, what the halakha is and what sort of circumstances can arise and are, are potentially uh, problematic. But that's the statement here in our Gemara. It's not even ochel nefesh here per se. Keep in mind, this is steps before ochel nefesh. Ochel nefesh is my preparation of it directly. Here is the utensils. Here is the item that I'm using for the ochel nefesh. Am I allowed to use that? I understand it's food, but ultimately speaking, it's how I got the food, which was problematic. Uh, it's not that I did the action or to bring it forth. That was permitted. Here, there's a rabbinic prohibition of mukseh. Says the Gemara Bet Shamai. Uh, says Rav Nachman, Beit Shammai would, would permit, would delet le mukseh, let le nolad. Says the Gemara, uh, let's, let's furthermore explain this. It means then, Beit Shammai kirbi Shimon, u Beit Hillel kirbi Yehuda. And Rabbi Shimon and Yehuda are, what's that? Of, of all people, Morris, you know, you'll come to me and talk to me and tell me, I read this, but I don't think he took it far enough. You've never said those words. You say those words to me all the time. So the statement of the Gemara is, Bet Shammai is like Rabbi Shimon plus. So in other words, they begin with Rabbi Shimon, but they go further. They maintain or they interpret that it's even Nolad is permitted. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're right. Rabbi Shimon happened to eat one of two things. Either Beit Shammai would claim Rabbi Shimon happened to have only been talking about a case of Mukseh. They didn't have the issue of Nolad, so they didn't address it. Or alternatively, Beit Shammai says, I'm interpreting further. Again, you read the piece on Shabbat, you turn to him and say, I think it was brilliant, you say to me, but you say, I think he could have taken it even further. That's the statement of the Gemara for Beit Shammai. Even if, although it does sound like the Rav Nachman is suggesting that Bishimon would go this far as well. Says the Gemara, but I, I still have some issues. No longer per se with the Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel interpretation. At the moment, we're going to accept clearly to the point Beit Hillel's opinion is there's a concept known as mukseh, and furthermore, of course, there's a, pro- a problem called nolad on Yom Tov. Mukseh meaning something that wasn't in my mind entering the day. Nolad meaning something that I couldn't even see entering the day. Uh, those are both asur, says Beit Shammai, la'achilan tashmish, Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai alternatively permit both of those. Uh, that much we're standing by. Says the Gemara, but now specifically this Rav Nachman opinion. Rav Nachman, after all, was the one who interpreted Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. And it emerges from his interpretation quite clearly. Beit Shammai, as we were startled yesterday, are the lenient opinion, and Beit Hillel are the stringent opinion. Not what we're used to, says the Gemara. We have evidence of Rav Nachman's other statement elsewhere, which suggests that he wouldn't maintain such a position with regards to Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. How so? Umi amar Rav Nachman hache, hache means like this, Umi in Aramaic is a way of being incredulous. It's a way of asking a question. 
Is it, in, in, in contemporary Hebrew, we wouldn't say that. Mi means who. In, in Aramaic Hebrew, umi is, is a way of asking the question. You know, it starts a question. It starts a, a, a sentence that ends with a question mark. Umi amar Rav Nachman Did Rav Nachman really say like this? Is that possible? We have evidence from another statement of his, in a different context, but related, that he wouldn't say what you just reported, he said. Vehatenan, don't we have a Mishnah elsewhere? Again, the Taf and Shin in Aramaic often interchange. So Vehatenan is a reference to a Mishnah, Shenan, Leshanot, Vishinantam Levanecha means to study or to teach. Vehatenan, don't we have a Mishnah which, uh, which, which dictates the following? Bet Shamai Omrim, Magbihin Me'al Hashulchan Asamotu Klipin. Period. Working backwards and then to the first the broad and then the specific. First and foremost, you see those last two lines we just read. Rav Nachman's statement is that Betilel aligns with Rabbi Shimon, the permitting opinion, and Bet Shamai aligns with Rabihuda, the forbidding opinion. One second. That's the opposite of what you told me in our Gemara. You said that Bet Shammai, our Mishnah, are the permitting opinion, the lenient opinion, and Bet with the stringent opinion. If you just read those words, you got about for a moment the specifics. Again, Ve'amar of Nachman and of Nachman elucidated. Anu en lanu, our version should be Ela, the following, Bet Shammai, like Rabbi Huda, stringent, Mukseh, Nolad, Ubetilel, lenient, no Nolad, no Mukseh, Kirbi Shimon. That in and of itself is the contradiction. We'll now plug in the details, but it means I have a contradiction with regards to what did Rav Nachman, in terms of his tradition, maintain these two opinions, Bet Shammai and Bet Hilel, were. Before the specifics, two just methodological points. Number one, what type of conversation? What did Bet Shammai and Bet Hilel say? Rav Nachman, as a person who's involved in Torah Peh in the oral tradition, is looking to determine. Uh, there was questions, uh, anytime. Uh, years removed, I remember I heard a dispute between two rabbis. I think this one said permitted, the other one said forbidden. Not 100% certain who said what. I remember the arguments. Who said what? So I'll have one version, and Rav Nachman comes along, that's not, that's not the right version. Who gave him the authority to do so? Torah Peh. It's an oral tradition. He's still trying to logically figure out who said what. So that's how Rav Nachman is flipping things. Even though the words in the Mishnah that we're citing seem to dictate otherwise, Rav Nachman coming later on, several hundred years after those words were stated by Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, Rav Nachman has the authority to deliberate, to determine, to decide, and that's what he's doing in this context. Uh, that's, that's in and of itself very significant. Uh, the Gemara, furthermore, is equating this, these laws which we have there in Masechet Shabbat to the ones which we have here in our Masechet, and therefore questioning if Rav Nachman is going to be consistent with his presentation, his understanding, something has to change. Because over there, you're dealing with a case where Bet Shammai are the stringent, Bet Hillel is the lenient in the context of Mukseh, and our Mishnah otherwise. What's the specifics of that case? Magbihin me'al hashulchan asamot uklipin. It's dealing with the following. You had a meal and you ate well, 
and uh, there were, um, I don't know, nuts at the table, and so you open the nuts and there's shells out on the table, and there was, uh, I don't know, uh, avocados, and uh, you know, peeled the avocados, and then for dessert there were mangoes, and you peeled the mangoes, I, I don't, you know, ma make it up accordingly, and so it means that at the table, left over, uh, after eating, there are shells, that's kelipot, and there's atzamot, there's bones as well from uh, other things, and there's peels, and that's what's left on the table. All those sorts of stuff. As you entered the meal, uh, we're not going to consider that mukseh, we're going to consider it part of the fruit, part of the animal, part of the fish that you're eating from, the bones, the peels, the shells that were on them. As you finish the food, and I look at the table, I look at my plate, and I say to myself, it's like, and what is this stuff? These bones, these, uh, these, these peels, and these, and these shells. These are all mukseh. I wasn't thinking about eating them before Shabbat. Uh, well, maybe not nolad, mukseh at the very least. Yeah, right? In other words, you see it, it's not nolad, but it's mukseh. I didn't have in mind to eat this. I can't eat this. So now I have it on my table. I have it on my plate. What am I to do after the meal? Why shouldn't I think it's a part of my food? I did think it was a part of my food. And I that's why I was permitted when I... Even when I finished eating and I had the item there, it was still I disposed of it, it's part of my food. Why? When I finished eating... Seriously? Is, Would anyone in their right mind to eat that? Half-eaten is different. No half-eaten. Fully eaten. Fully There's eaten. no food left. There's just atzamot kelipot. You left some peels out. You, you had fish and you left the bones out. Uh, the same way, the same you're fancy. Way no fish. The no bones in your fish. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, they didn't. You know, so, so therefore, says the Mishnah, what are you going to do in such a circumstance? Betilel says the following, in contrast to Bet Shammai. Well, let's look over again. Bet Shammai The statement that we have in the Mishnah is that Bet Shammai say, pick those things up and remove them, put them in the garbage, throw them outside. That's permitted. Because Bet Shammai, as we have it, lenient, makes sense, aligns with our Mishnah. Bet Omrim, you can't do so. What you need to do is you need to pick up the table. Today we would say pick up the plate. And Mina'ara, uh, and then you need to just uh, fling it into the garbage can, get rid of it. In other words, you need to do it indirectly instead of picking it up, because there is a problem on Mukseh. Now, if you had just the words of this Mishnah, and you compared it to our Mishnah, everything aligns perfectly. Bet Shammai, lenient. Bet Hilel, stringent. However, Ve'amar Rav Nachman, Anwein, Rav Nachman interjects and says, but your tradition in this circumstance, for one reason or another, is wrong. Betilil are really the lenient ones and Bet Shammai the stringent ones. Pause, reflect for a moment. Rav Nachman, you changed the Mishnah over there to transform Betilil to being lenient and Bet Shammai to being stringent, even though the words that met our eyes the words that were repeated into our ears by our teachers long ago were the opposite. But Rav Nachman, you found it appropriate for one reason or another. You found it necessary to flip these two opinions. In our Mishnah, you didn't do so. What's the difference? There's something inconsistent over here. Whereas in our Mishnah, you, you maintained Bet Shammai lenient, Bet Hilel stringent with regards to Mukseh and Nolad. In that Mishnah, which seems 
to be just reiterating in a different context, the same idea. You flipped it, says the Gemara, I'll tell you why this is what happened. Amar lecha Rav Nachman. Now when you use those words, Amar lecha Rav Nachman, it means Rav Nachman is not alive to be talking. We are defending Rav Nachman. We are explaining to you what Rav Nachman would have said. It doesn't say Amar Rav Nachman. It says Amar lecha Rav Nachman. I'm certain this is what he would have answered. What would he have answered? Gabe Shabbat satamnan tanakir bishimon titnan mehatechin et adeluin lifnea beema vetanevela lifnea kelavim ukim la lebetilel ker bishimon aval gabe yom tob de satamnan tanakir biuda titnan en mevakirin etzim in akorot velomena korash and ishberabi yom tob mukim la lebetilel ker bihuda. So lots of words. First break it down. Uh, first break it down separately and outside and then inside with regards to the details. goes like this. The Gemara is, going, is, is now suggesting that Rav Nachman would defend himself. Rav Nachman would and, and did take a, a full view and vision of the laws of Shabbat and the laws of Yom Tov. How would he look at the laws once? He didn't have Shulchan Aruch, he didn't have Tur, he didn't have Arambam. He looked at the Mishnah. The Mishnah was once the source of law. It was the springboard for discussing and developing contemporary law. Uh, he looked at the Mishnayot and he noticed that in the context of Yom Tov, separately, Satam, Satam means a Mishnah, Satam Mishnah, without a name in it, the Mishnah is presented as lenient with regards to on Shabbat with regards to Mukseh. There is a Mishnah by Shabbat which has a leniency with regards to this law of Mukseh. We'll have to discuss what that is. And then he found another Mishnah without a name attributed to it. It doesn't say it, it doesn't say it. And it's in the context of Yom Tob and it says that Mukseh is forbidden. One more time. I heard, I saw in the context of Shabbat a leniency with regards to Mukseh and without a name on it, that's how we go. La halacha, setam mishnah, masechet Shabbat, daf memvav, says setam mishnah, is how we go. La halacha, if this anonymous, the way it worked was I wrote down the mishnah, I didn't put a name on it, put a name on it, he said, maybe we don't follow him. No, there's no name, that's the opinion, that's it. Who says it? That's what's said, doesn't matter who said it. So there's a setam mishnah in the context of Shabbat, which is permitted. And there's a setam mishnah in the context of Yom Tov, which is forbidden. Okay, so that's, that's st- stage number one. Stage number two, uh, this one we all know already. Bet Shammai versus Bet Hillel, who wins? Bet Hillel, of course. Says Rav Nachman, well, I need everything to align properly. I know that in Shabbat I, I'm going to be lenient, and I know that in Yom Tov I'm going to be stringent, and I know I'm going to follow Bet Hillel. It means that at the beginning of our Masechet, Masechet Betzah, dealing with the laws of Yom Tob, the opinion of Bet Hillel has to be according itself with a law I know already, the stringent opinion. For some reason, for one reason or another, when it comes to Yom Tob, I need to be stringent. I have evidence of such. I found what's called the Stam Mishnah, which tells me. It is. Our Mishnah, Bet Hillel are the stringent ones. Our Mishnah. The Mishnah and Masechet Shabbat, where Bet Hillel are presented as the stringent, can't be, can't be that the stringent, how do you know it can't be the stringent, there has to be, there's a mistake over there, mistake, yeah, mistake in transmission, how do you know, because I have another Mishnah Masechet Shabbat, which tells me that when it comes to Shabbat, I'm supposed to be lenient, that's why Rav Nachman changed it, so that's effectively what the Gemara did for us over here, again, what the Gemara is suggesting is the logic that underlies this technical shift of Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman went to him, he shifted, he said, ah, oh, Bet Hillel by Shabbat, they were permitting, Bet Shammai by Shabbat, they were forbidden, who said, 
because he had evidence in general that that's the direction. If you're going to align things, if you're going to say, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, like uh, you, you found someone in the Republican Party, and you don't know what he said, but you know he's a member of the Republican Party, and you know the party line on this matter. I heard he said this, and he was disputing it. It's got to be that he took the Republican opinion. He's a Republican, and that Democrat had to be on that matter. No, but on another matter, they were flipped. That's right, it depends, and I'm trying to piece together based on the party line. Party line with regards to Shabbat is a leniency, party line with regards to Yom Tov is a stringency, before the details. Why would that be? Why would, I mean, the Gemara will question this. Why would it be that by Shabbat? Well, uh, it's rare, it's rare. We found three cases in our Mishnah. All of them, yeah, you know. All right, Rav Nachman says we need to follow Satan Mishnah. He says I need to align, and that's going to be my evidence. I I understand, but Rav Nachman, no, 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 but we have another Mishnah which we're going to cite, which is the one I just did cite, that by Yom Tov there is a stringency. So that's that's clear. As a result, we keep we're upholding this Mishnah. Um, why would it be that by Yom Tov there's more of a stringency than by Shabbat? The Gemara will say to us that everyone's familiar that Yom Tov has more leniencies in general. Yom Tov, the Torah, as we said in our introduction yesterday, says Ochenefesh is permitted. The mindset of a person entering the holiday, therefore, is lighter for good reason. If it's lighter already, a halacha midrabana known as mukseh, the rabbinic enactment of mukseh, would more apply to Yom Tov where they say everybody's minds are light on this day. We need to crank it up a little bit. We need to restrict a little bit. When it comes to Shabbat, everybody comes in a little bit more trembling. Everyone's a little bit more careful about it. Mukseh is not a necessary cranking up. That's what the Gemara will state. What are the details? I told you again that Rav Nachman is analyzing these Mishnayot noticing that you have Stam Mishnah and Masechet Shabbat, lenient, and Stam Mishnah again means an anonymous Mishnah and Masechet Betzar in the context of Yom Tov where there's a stringency. So here are the words. Here it says the Gemara again. Now I'm four lines from the bottom, five lines from the bottom here on Daf Bet Amudalf. Rav Nachman Gabe Shabbat. This is what I noticed, says the Gemara for Rav Nachman. That when it comes to Shabbat, Satam Lantana, there's a Stam, there's an anonymous statement, the Tana, the author of the Mishnah, Rabbi Udana, see, we generally assume the Gemara will say, the, the editor of the Mishnah, Kirbi Shimon, when it came to Shabbat, the Stam Mishnah, this anonymous Mishnah, which denotes to us, which is code word for us, follow this as Halakha, goes like Rabbi Shimon. Where do you find that? Well, here it is, the Tanan. The Mishnah Masechet Shabbat has, Mehatechinet Lifne uh, first case, not as relevant to us with regards to Mukseh, but the case is you have gourds of some sort which were cut before Shabbat, and now you want to furthermore cut them and give them to your animals to eat on Shabbat. Is that permitted? Why shouldn't it be permitted? Says Rashi, maybe there's what's called Tirhayetira. Maybe it's overly uh, burdensome. Maybe that would be forbidden. It's not. It's permitted. But more importantly, Nevela means an animal which died, a carcass. The situation is such, you entered Shabbat and the animal was alive. A Shabbat comes along and old Betsy uh, d- 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 died. He woke up in the morning and said, the pulse is gone. What's that? It is no lot. It's, it's mukseh. It's very much mukseh. What's the halacha in such a circumstance? Can I use that carcass? My mindset entering the day was that it's not dogs are not going to be eating this. And now I wake up in the morning, it's a dead animal. The only thing that's going to eat this are dogs. 
no muksim, mechatech ve'eta nevela lifnei ha'kelavim. You're able to cut it and give it to dogs. Why are you able to cut it and give it to dogs on Shabbat? Shouldn't it be considered muksim? When you entered Shabbat, you didn't have in mind a carcass. There was no carcass. There wasn't going to be meat to give to your animals from that, that other animal. As a result, we see clearly a setan mishnah, mishnah which has no author, which is a sign to us that the halakha is like that in Shabbat, that muksim is permitted. We therefore mukim lebetilel kirbi. Shimon. In Hilchot Shabbat, we say that Betilel, Rav Nachman did, is like Rabbi Shimon. Gabe Yom Tov. In contrast, when it comes to holidays, the Satam Lantanak Rabbi Huda, we have a stringency with regards to Mukse. The Stam Mishnah, without an author, or excuse me, without a name, it's anonymous, is a stringent opinion along the lines of what we call Rabbi Huda. Ditnan. Here's the case in, in Yom Tov. You already see it in the first word. En. En means we don't. It means whatever we're about to read is forbidden on Yom Tov. Whereas on Shabbat we had a permissibility, on Yom Tov we're going to have a prohibition. What's the situation? One of two. You're not allowed to cut off wood either from korot. Korot, Rashi explains this. You have planks of wood that are, 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 are there and, and uh, you know, on a construction site and they're going to be used for building. You can't cut those off in order to light a fire with them on, on the holiday. Furthermore, if uh, a wall fell down, you can't use that wall in order to throw in as, as firewood uh, on the holiday, even if you're using it for cooking. Why not in each of those situations? The answer is one word again. Mukseh. When you entered the holiday, you saw those planks of wood and you said they're going to be used for construction. You saw the wall and you said, that's, that's my wall. Once it fell down on the holiday, can I now use it? Mukseh. And the halakha is asur on Yom Tov. Therefore, noticing that it's asur on Yom Tov, says Rav Nachman, mukim lach lebetilel kirbihuda. So just to summarize very briefly what the Gemara suggested and explained to us is Rav Nachman taking in and understanding the halachot of Hilchot Shabbat and Hilchot Yom Tov, he noticed we have Stam Mishnah. Stam Mishnah is halacha. We're going to follow the anonymous author in the Mishnah. When it comes to Shabbat, permissibility permitted, mutar by mukseh, by nolad, by extension. When it comes to Yom Tov, he noticed Stam Mishnah, isur, in Therefore, when it comes to Yom Tov, he continued and explained, betilelar, the stringent opinion. We're going to follow with regards to Muqseh and Nolad, when it comes to Shabbat, he flips and he suggests Betilel are instead the lenient opinion because we have to follow Betilel as well. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.